We continue looking at Matthew uh, this morning, the first book of the New Testament. If you want to use the book that's in the pew or the chair there, uh, you can turn to page 807, Matthew chapter 2. There's a handout that... uh, just a take-home, one per household is fine. It gives a little bit of the structure of the passage, showing that this quote in verse 6 is structurally arranged to be the centerpiece. So it's all about this declaration of Christ being the shepherd and ruler. And also, it gives some detail about this uh, quote that we don't have time uh, to get into, but if you're interested, you can look at that. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O gracious Lord, open up to our understanding the, the glory of Christ afresh. And Lord, give us hearts that will seek him with determination and diligence and great joy. Oh Lord, renew us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some years ago uh, in another city, I was having lunch. I had just gotten back from our denomination's General Assembly that meets once a year. And at that General Assembly, the president of uh, the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, had spoken, a Baptist speaking to Presbyterians. Uh, Al Mahler happens to agree very closely with us on our views of God's grace and salvation, and that's why he was uh, invited to preach. Well, back to lunch, I was sitting there and I noticed one of the prominent ministers of the city 
uh, sitting there having lunch. And so I took the opportunity as soon as I had finished to go over and uh, introduce myself and to tell him about Al Mohler. And I, I said, hey, by the way, uh, Albert Mahler uh, preached at our General Assembly. He was fantastic. We were so glad to get to hear him. His face just fell. He was angry. He was upset. He says, I do not agree with Al Mohler. <laughs> so, quite a surprise for me. He apparently was one of those who's drifting to what we would say is to the left of uh, the gospel and didn't appreciate uh, his desire, uh, Dr. Mohler's desire to faithfully preach the gospel. Well, it was very similar, though very different circumstance, with the Magi and Herod. When the Magi came in with their joyous news, it slammed Herod bad. And he hit his cards better than this Baptist minister did. Apparently, they didn't suspect him, and that's why the angel had to appear and tell them not to go back through Jerusalem to Herod. Herod was... Uh, an able, a talented ruler. He loved to build things. The temple was his great project, the temple there in Jerusalem. But in his later years, he grew suspicious and quite cruel. You've probably heard this, that he killed his own wife and two of his sons and other family members because he thought that they were trying to usurp his throne. So Herod being so upset. He was already kind of this unbalanced man. Anything would set him off. So the Magi's Christian question just unhinged Herod. Can you imagine? You're the king ruling the Jews by a political appointment, and now these foreigners come in asking, where is this baby who is born king of the Jews? And Herod probably immediately was thinking, well, whoever he is, he's going to be a dead baby as soon as I can make it happen. He was disturbed, and we read that all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Is it that sad that the announcement or the question about the king of the Jews would cause the whole city to be not rejoicing, but disturbed? So... Herod asks his leadership, the priests and the scribes, where the Messiah will be born. Because he's going to take care of the problem pronto. According to the plan, as soon as they can let the Magi know what city, he will go and find a specific place. They will go and then report back to him. And there you go. So Herod sends them on their way, uh, urging them to find the child, report back, so he can come and worship the child as well. And we found out late. We find out later in verse thirteen what we already suspect that he only seeks to destroy the child. And then they leave, and we're hardly on their way when the star reappears. And by the way, who were these wise men, as they are called in our text? According to popular tradition. There are three kings, right? We all know the song. Those kings even have names, and we hear that their relics are in Cologne, Germany, just in case you're ever in Cologne. Um, but there's no basis, of course, in Matthew for the number three. Uh, the word here actually is magos, M-A-G-O-S. In the plural, it's magi. We say magi. That's where we get magi. It's also where we get the word magic and magician, 
These were learned men, kind of priestly professionals, right, who studied the stars, they interpreted dreams, and discerned the signs of the times. And they also many times practiced secret arts and magic arts as well. So wise men is, is a pretty good name for them. I'm just going to refer to them as the magi. One commentator translates it, men who studied the stars. Uh, in chapter 2 of his prophecy, Daniel, in exile in Babylon, mentions magi. There it's translated magicians who were in the Babylonian court and they were trying to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. And it could be that these magi were even from Babylon. So there's some connection there even in the book of Daniel. And then, of course, what is this star, right? There are a lot of guesses. Uh, Some think it might be a comet, some the uh, conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, others maybe a supernova, and if it's a natural phenomenon, that's the one I, I lean to. But there's a problem with all this. After they leave Jerusalem, the language is very specific that the star actually led them and then stood over the very spot where the baby was. I don't know about a supernova taking on that responsibility, honestly. Um, so many modern commentators think Matthew meant it to be a miracle. He's describing uh, a miracle. Uh, and what's possible even that God even used an angel who was at a certain distance and shone forth like a star. Uh, and he was able to lead them in that way. Uh, even the uh, angels are called morning stars in Job 38, 7. And angel, of course, means messenger. So perhaps one or more involved in communicate this message, communicating this message that the baby is in a certain house in uh, Bethlehem. I wonder if some of them, if they were even there, uh, were from the same group that appeared to the shepherds. You never know. You know, you never know. But we don't know exactly how God did this, but apparently it was some kind of miraculous uh, thing that directed them straight to Bethlehem and to the house itself. You could say maybe the star was like taking them by the hand, you know, like I'll take you there myself, it seemed to say. And the description of their happiness is really hard to express in English. It doesn't say just that they rejoice with joy or they rejoice with great joy, but they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. We would say they were doing backflips. They were so happy, crazy happy, shouts and cheers and probably trembling with excitement. And the presents they offer are very expensive, certainly fit for a king. Gold, we know. Frankincense and myrrh were luxury imports derived from the rosins of different trees uh, growing in Arabia and Somalia and India. Frankincense was an expensive perfume burned in worship and important social occasions. And myrrh was a luxurious cosmetic fragrance. It's interesting that together they're named ten times in the Old Testament romance, Song of Solomon. So, guys and girls, get your frankincense and myrrh out, right? Uh, it was, it was a, known to be the uh, beautiful, expensive spices that they were offering to them. And it's interesting that this offering recalls the Queen of Sheba. 
probably from around present-day Yemen. That's why Jesus calls her the Queen of the South in Matthew 12 when he's talking about that event of Sheba. This Gentile woman, also Gentile, brought spices and gold to another son of David, Solomon. And then interestingly, Sheba became a symbol for Gentile nations coming to Israel. Isaiah 60, we read, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. So you see, Matthew is setting for this event of the Magi as the great fulfillment of these passages. Look, the Gentiles are coming and they are presenting their gifts. They're presenting themselves. They are worshiping Messiah. This anticipates the other Gentiles in Matthew, the centurion, Roman centurion in uh, Matthew 8 or the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. It even anticipates the great commission at the end of Matthew, where Jesus says, go and disciple the nations. I'm with you wherever you go. And another question that arises in this passage, as you think about these magi, is how did they know this, right? Where did they get this? We don't know exactly, of course. Perhaps there were traditions and parts of scriptures that were passed down through people like Daniel and other Jews that lived in that area hundreds of years before. Perhaps they had pieces of the Old Testament, like that in Numbers 24, when Balaam, a pagan seer and diviner from kind of the same class as these magi, Declared of Israel, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now there the star is the ruler himself, but you can see how a rising star could be a symbol of the rise of that ruler. And you think about it, how these wise men had gotten just a little information from the stars and maybe a smattering of light from other writings connected to the Jews. We're not sure um, obviously, they weren't immersed in the scriptures. They weren't familiar with Micah 5.2 and other prophecies. It's almost like they had overheard Yahweh talking through the stars somehow. It's very curious. It seems that God had stooped to communicate with them on their own terms, in their own mode in which they were familiar. And with that little smidgen of revelation, they undertook this long journey and joyfully found the baby king and offered up their gifts. And obviously, they must have thought that this king was more than just an everyday ruler in Jerusalem, in Palestine. I mean, rulers had come and gone for hundreds of years, but this particular king brought them such a long way to Worship him and offer themselves to him through these presents. They had some idea of his greatness and perhaps even saw him as the real hope of the world. 
We just can't know exactly everything that they knew at this point. But you have to think of God's great grace in their lives that enabled them to respond to these bits of truth that they had heard. We must seek God's grace to enable us to respond with something of that passion to the far greater revelation that we have received in the scriptures. We, by God's grace, can seek this king with the same determination, the same sacrifice. May God give us and rescue us so that we have one purpose of seeking Christ as they did. One purpose of seeking Christ in everything we do. Seeking Him in our worship. Seeking Him in our own meditation and prayers surrounding the Word. Seeking Him within our families. And seeking to honor Him in everything we do in our work and community and city. And so, may God make us like them And we think God will give us grace to be like them in that regard. May God give us grace to rejoice over him as they did. Rejoicing over him with exceedingly great joy. May we rejoice in all that he is as we've seen it in scripture. And all that he has done and all that he will do. May we rejoice in the hope of knowing him more. And having more of him and being more like him, may we rejoice in making him known in our lives. And when our joy is genuine, then we, like the Magi, will offer ourselves and everything we have up to him. It's a, it's a joyful sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of adoration, a sacrifice of admiration. It's it's part of our worship and honor how much we love him and want him that we would offer ourselves up to him. May God give us grace that we will gladly want to be owned by Jesus Christ in every way. Gladly putting ourselves in his hands to do his will. May we know a happy submission to King Jesus He is set forth here above all things as a king to shepherd your life. Put yourself into his hands, this gracious, glorious king. Matthew does so much in this passage to set Jesus forward as king. Called the king of the Jews. The the quote that is the centerpiece uh, in verse 6 speaks of this ruler who will shepherd his people. And we must rejoice particularly in his kingship. Rejoice in his unlimited strength to rescue us. To protect us. Trusting in his unlimited strength to rescue us and protect us. And we say, God will give you the grace to come to Christ with the eagerness of the Magi and more. Well, here's a searching question. 
Who do you identify with in this story? We're to enter this story. This is God's story. As Ryan so well reminded us last week what all of Scripture is. How do we intersect with this story? Do I welcome his kingship in my life or do I reject his kingship in my life? You see, if you're refusing his rule in your life, refusing to respect and obey your parents or refusing to be a part of God's people, refusing his word and prayer, refusing to put your life in his hands to accomplish his purposes in your life, there's no one else to side with here but Herod. I mean, you have Magi, you have Herod. Who are you going to identify with? Who are you going to seek to be in your life? It's really passion one way or another for us. Now, think of it as a passion, but it's defined here as a passion for or passion against. You look how Herod tried to eliminate Christ. Do you try just as hard in your own way to eliminate Christ from your thinking, from your purposes, from your allegiances? Do you, do you keep Christ at bay? Do you keep him at best around the edges of your life? Because you don't want to hear about his kingship. You don't want his kingship. You see... We will attack him or we do attack him by simply dishonoring him, by simply ignoring him, by simply refusing him. And you and I might be thinking, well, I'm not really Herod. I'm more like the priest and the scribes who just didn't go down to Bethlehem. They didn't attack him. They just refused him. They just were uh, apathetic. But you have to remember that these same priests and scribes were among those that plotted against Jesus. They were those that instigated the crowd to cry out, crucify him. They were the ones that convinced Pilate to kill him. So who do you identify with in this story? And we want to say that Christ can enable you to be a passionate seeker of Christ, a passionate follower of Christ. That's his salvation. That's his grace in our lives. It is hard for us. It it is impossible for us as human beings to give ourselves to God in this way. We don't do it by nature. It says in Romans 3, there is none that seeks you by nature. So we're talking about the miracle of the star. This is the miracle of the shining of the glory of Jesus in your heart to convince you that he's worth, worthy of giving yourself away to him, this glorious king. It reminds me in Matthew 19, this young man comes and has a conversation with Jesus. And the man confidently proclaims that he had kept all the commandments from his youth. Uh, And like a little house of cars, Jesus just flicks it down. He says to him, you lack one thing, 
Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And you remember in Indiana Jones when he finally, un- the first movie, when he finally uncovered the top where the treasure was. He knew it was going to be some kind of trap, some kind of obstacle. And he throws the light down there and there are hundreds of snakes. And he goes, snakes, why did it have to be snakes? Because of all things he hates and fears snakes. And that was kind of like the young man here. Money. Why did it have to be money? Right? There's always that kind of thing in our lives. We're kind of like Bilbo and the ring. He told Gandalf he was leaving the great ring with his nephew Frodo. He's just about to step out the door when Gandalf said, "Uh, Bilbo, the ring, what? It's still in your pocket. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure it is. Strange, yes. And continues his conversation about this or that. And um, he starts to leave again. And again, Gandalf has to say, Bilbo. And so in the end, it was only with great difficulty that he threw the ring down. And the ring represented so much, didn't it? The great power, pride of control. And yet it destroyed you in the very using of it. And that's what our control of ourselves does to us. It promises so many wonderful things to us. It, it promises us freedom. It promises us happiness. It promises us we get to have our time for ourselves to use as we want to. But it destroys us. It eats out our lives. The only place of true freedom and happiness and fulfillment is to give ourselves up to the very God we were made for through Jesus Christ. And so, for us, even as believers, of course, it's still a mixed bag. We don't give up our lives perfectly by any stretch. We are spending our whole lives having begun in Christ to give ourselves up to him. We've, we're constantly discovering more and more ways in which we can do that. More and more pockets of idolatry. More and more rings, as it were, that we're holding on to. But the process has begun with us by his grace if we're believers. And we're urging you, if you've not begun that process... To embrace this great king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born as a baby here in, this, in, in Bethlehem. And let's remind ourselves, he's not just a king, he is the king. The king of all the earth. The king who rules the earth right now. He is sent from God. He is God come in the flesh. And though perfect himself, he made this kingly sacrifice on a Roman cross, bearing the whole punishment that we deserve. Then three days later, he rose from the dead, this victorious king over death and sin. And now even though his people may die, they too will be raised from the dead one day, just like him. What a king! Will you not entrust yourself to him? And because he's released from the punishment of sin forever, those who trust in him are released from the punishment of sin forever. 
We are made children of God, forgiven and accepted forever by God. One of the most amazing statements for me in Scripture is what the writer of Hebrews says. That this king, perfect and holy, all authority in heaven and earth, says of us sinners. It says, he, he quotes the Old Testament, it says, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Every man, woman, child, he calls you brother. We, weak, sinful people, are co-heirs with Christ of the coming kingdom of the new creation. What a king. Who will you identify with? Will you really be a Herod and refuse him? Or by God's grace, by his salvation, become a magi and take your place to worship him and give yourself up to this glorious king. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for your abundant mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. All that came down to us in the birth of this child. Oh, Lord, we praise you for such love, such sacrifice to give yourself away so freely for our good. We honor you. And we ask that your spirit would enable us to give ourselves up to you in glad submission for your glory and our good. Amen.